Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back to the pod. We hope you guys are all enjoying your first week of freedom now that your kids are in school. (laughs) (laughs) Some people started in early August. Yeah. This is dropping in August, but yeah, summer I feel like goes by quicker and quicker every year. So quick. So quick. Especially because like we had a delayed start to the heat, I feel like. Mm. And so it just didn't feel like summer for a while. And it's like just now starting to feel like summer. And then it's like, oh, it's almost end of August. I mean, California problems. Like, I feel like we always, August is always, like, really humid. Like, we get that, and then it rolls into September. But we're doing a little intro before today's podcast because now that um, we're end of August, September's right around the corner, like, talk about a little bit more about our event. We've been furiously planning over this summer um, to bring you an event at the Huntington Beach Bay Club, October 24th. That's a Thursday evening. It's set to start at 5.30. This is going to be our second annual panel discussion. It is our fifth annual fundraising event. So as years pass, all proceeds from ticket sales go directly to helping provide legal aid and awareness to all of our families here in Orange County. We've actually been getting some inquiries from Northern California, mm-hmm. too. So um, it helps kind of... Um, go directly back to the families. So as the weeks go by, we will give you more information about, obviously tickets are on sale right now, early bird admission tickets are $25. If you go to inclusiveeducationproject.org, even if you remember our old website, iepcalifornia.org, it's old in the sense that it still works, you could still type that in, but we've kind of revamped our website, if you guys have been following along. Yeah, I guess we'll get to the point of today's episode. <laughs> There's their updates for the week, but this week in lieu of you know, the start of the school year, a lot of families now are going to be planning for this upcoming school year, wanting to make it a success, wanting to make sure that they're planning for the future, and comes with that a lot is high school students transitioning. Where are they going to go? Are they going to go off to college? Are they going to go off to a trade school? Are they going to go have a job? Um, what are their plans? And so we met with our guests to tie in a talk this week about transition planning and things that are important to consider and know tips and tricks on planning for the future for your child. So Karen Lerner is from the College Blueprint and one of the things that we kind of got into with her were parent expectations and we were just talking broadly and generally from our experiences on different sites, right? We, we both service students but we interact with teachers, we interact with parents, so it was a really good discussion. I feel like we hit a lot of different points, um, but parent expectations is how we start out, so we hope you enjoy this episode. We'll talk to you that I'm not saying goodbye. Enjoy this episode. (laughs) Enjoy. Bye. Hi, Karen. Thank you for being on the podcast. So we just wanted to kind of open up and ask you, here at College Blueprint, what do you do and how did you get here? 
I'm thrilled to be here. I think podcasts are the new way everybody gets their information, mm-hmm. and I'm just starting to get into them myself. I am actually somebody who came into this career reluctantly. Like many people, I came in for personal reasons. I moved to California 30-something years ago with my husband as a dutiful wife and um, with a, a new baby. And I was a dancer in my old life, and so I ended up teaching in the dance departments at UCI and Chapman which worked really nice having small kids and dancing and staying in shape. And then what happened was my younger daughter got a diagnosis of at the time, she's 33 now, so this was really a long time ago, at a really early age she had a diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome. And when I told people she had Asperger's syndrome, they said, God bless you, because nobody knew what that was. So I had to really work to create a community that was not set up for her. I was lucky because the husband I married many years before we had her, came here because he's a developmental pediatrician at UC Irvine. Oh, wow. So it was the right person, and yeah. he, I connected to the right people. And today, that daughter who ended up be, you know, going from a special needs school for dyslexia called the Prentice School, ended up as a librarian in a county library, mm-hmm. So and likes to read all the time. I ended up at Prentice because I was teaching in dance departments and realized I needed to be around more. You're only as happy as your most unhappy kid. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe some of this education and therapies that she would need would be on the expensive side and I was not really earning a tremendous amount of money as a part-time dance teacher at universities. So I went into teaching and ended up going into special ed and ended up for a lot of reasons I wasn't going to do this type of special ed. I was going to do the gifted and talented which also was part of special ed but I ended up at the Prentice School and I was there for 21 years. Nine as a teacher, 12 as their principal. And then what happened was, and I stayed even though my daughter had left, you know, because Mm -hmm. it was at that time I started identifying a use for creativity when you're creating things that don't really exist, which reminded me a lot of my life in dance. Mm -hmm. So I left Prentice after 21 years and became an ed therapist at UC Riverside. And when I was in the process of doing that, that was because when I was principal, you spend much more time with families Mm -hmm. and you realize that education from the teacher's perspective is one perspective and from the principal's perspective, it's another perspective. But then you get to... the parent's perspective, it's it's another another one. But then there's also the community, Mm -hmm. there's religion, there is the family, there is the extended family, there's all these little connections And that never hit more home to me than when I was in Vietnam for two weeks doing Project Vietnam when I was working with a group of educators, psychologists, and developmental pediatricians. And we were working on rolling out the concept of autism to the teachers, special ed teachers programs Mm -hmm. in Hanoi and Saigon. And you would meet parents and they would just simply say, this is retribution for my family's, you know, mistakes in the past. And this is, you know, this is what it is. There's nothing else we can do about it. So really ed therapy is interesting because it's a little bit of fusing psychology with social work with education. And when I started doing this program at UC Riverside, I got offered two jobs. One was here working as an ed therapist at the College Blueprint and I had known Jan who owns the College Blueprint for many years and she had done some work with us at Prentice and I was interested to work with that high school college population and also to work doing what I call my pro bono work which I see a lot of people 
for initial consults, they're one hour and they're free. So I see tons of people I will never see again. Mm -hmm. I will never mm -hmm. charge them for anything. Mm -hmm. I will refer out and send them on their way. I have a really good Rolodex after all these years. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to pay for seeing them in an office because I'm on a stipend here. So I don't have to worry about the money. So I get to do that. And that's really been, I think, helpful to a lot of families who either had a late diagnosis or mm -hmm. there were issues. Maybe they need a lawyer. Maybe they need a therapist. Maybe they need both. Maybe they need uh, educational therapist that works in ways that I don't work in. So I've that's been really interesting being here. And then I also work part time. Until recently, it was called the UC. Irvine Child Development School, but now I will be moving to the Children's School, which will be their new school, and I work as an ed therapist there, and these are for kids with self-regulation issues. We have a heavy hitter here. Yeah, well, no, I, we have a heavy hitter. And, <laughs> I don't know and, and I think, no, no, really, I mean, just the amount of people that you know and that yeah. you're connected to and then yeah. the lives that you touch, I think... Yeah you spoke a little bit but you know managing those parents expectations that's right. half of our job which most attorneys don't do right. in of themselves when a man and I say we're counselors in every sense yes. of the word we should be going back getting our masters in psychology <laughs> because oftentimes yeah. it is managing those parents expectations and with special education we're able to go back to it's the individualized needs of the child. And I'm right. sure you see that very often. You know, each child is unique. Well, I'm really making sure that we're going down to making sure everyone understands, understands right. what's been happening, what's going to happen, what are the options there? Because I think a lot of times people will just oh, well, here are, here are the things that you can do. And I think oftentimes that happens in IEP meetings. So parents, it's that cookie-cutter yeah, recommendation. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. you know, we're going to offer you occupational therapy without ever explaining what is occupational therapy. And I think that's a big part of what we, you know, try to do whenever mm -hmm. a client walks through a door. And so it's helpful when families are looking at what happens after high school. There's so most people think, okay, well, my kid's going to college or they're not going to college. Right. If they're not going to college, okay, what are their options for jobs? There's mm -hmm. maybe not that many jobs since for yeah. jobs. But they don't realize is that there's so much out there. And there's a lot of things. We could, That's another podcast, but we <laughs> can talk about what, you know, it's not just college or jobs. It's college and professional schools. Mm -hmm. It's college or professional schools and technical education. There's gap years. I mean, there's just so many interesting things that people mm -hmm. can do, even when they don't have any kind of learning issue or any kind of diagnosis and that's a lot of what I do here in this job at College Blueprint is I sort of take the college out of college although I also do college do college counseling so I always say if you've got a password and you've got a username and a release of information <laughs> you own that kid because you can completely look at everything that's going on and see the reality and that's actually true for a lot of the students I work with who are in high school or college that you know it used to be that you'd have to just take everybody's word for it but you don't have to do that anymore yeah yeah but you were saying you know about managing parental expectations I think is the number one issue for anybody who works with parents whether you're in uh, the principal of a school or the teacher or the lawyer I hear this all the time from my friends who are psychologists or psychiatrists I hear this from people who are tutors, and the first thing that you said is every child is a unique individual, and that is really true. I think, you know, I sort of have thought about this 
podcast in a couple of different ways. And I think one of the hardest things to do is to separate the student from the parent. It's a little bit easier when they're adopted, but then you get other issues in that one. But when they are biologically your children, I think a lot of times parents will sort of manage their own anxiety or their own fears by overly focusing on the similarities they had with their child and how they were successful. Now, sometimes I'm sitting there going, okay, you're telling me you're successful and I have this wall rule. If I keep backing up and hit the wall, <laughs> mm -hmm. I know this is going to be a, probably a family I'm not going to want to really be able to handle or deal with. But that we also live in a completely different time today yes. than when all of us were growing up. I could be your parents, but even, you know, the parents today, I know my own daughters are in their 30s and they didn't grow up with social media. They didn't grow up with computers. I didn't have to worry about the fears. I mean, when I was growing up, we worried about Russia coming and bombing us and we all, I'm from the East Coast, we all went under the desks and we had our air raid drills. But today, kids worry about just you know, going on the bus or getting into yeah. class. Um, or even just worrying about parents projecting their own yeah. struggles on their kid or things that they did or didn't do. I mean, that's something we get all the time, not just from parents, but from yeah. people in the community. Right. Like, oh, well, I went through public school and I did just fine. I didn't have any help. I just did just fine. Or, right. you know, I did this, I did that. Not taking yeah. into consideration that maybe 20 years ago in school, there weren't as many options. It was thought, you know, you're either going to go into a profession that makes yeah. you a lot of money or you're going to try to do something that you enjoy, but it might not make you any money, right? right. And so yeah. there wasn't as many people. I think we're getting a lot more with the more recent generation of that choice of yeah. it's not just reading writing and arithmetic there's other things that kids can be good at and right. there's so many professions out there there's so mm -hmm. many careers there's so many paths that can really lead towards the strength and I think that's kind of that separate of you know it doesn't need the kid doesn't need to be you know in honors in AP classes right. doesn't right. even need to get the high school diploma they get the certificate track and go on to right. you know so many different avenues and making sure that we're keeping open open mind about what the child can do and wants to do and with assistive technology I know that that was a big game changer for when I was dealing with kids who were dyslexic or dysgraphic mm -hmm. I mean it really if you just really have a print disability or a writing disability and that's it you can get your needs met using a computer mm -hmm. and assistive technology so I think that that it, it's really true there's a lot more things that people can be doing Howard Gardner's multiple intelligences come mm -hmm. to mind and we're looking at different types of intelligence where in the past it was mostly academic and athletic and you know and artistic mm -hmm. and there's many different kinds of schools and today parents don't have to be unhappy with a school to take their children out and homeschool them for free right. even if they right. want to so there's more academic options but I think it's important for parents to realize it's a more complicated world today than when they were there and I always tell parents unless you're a sheep which I still think are the only things I could be wrong that have been successfully cloned <laughs> yeah. you also have other DNA in there besides mm -hmm. yours mm -hmm. in another environment so one of the things I like to do is listen to parents tell me, you know, all the things that, you know, their kid can't do. And I like to use the word yet because mm -hmm. I find that a lot of students 
things are just very delayed. Yeah, I work with a Absolutely. lot of kids who have a diagnosis of ADHD, a lot of kids with a diagnosis of ASD, a lot of kids that have a lot of anxiety or depression or medical issues or traumas. And so things have sort of slowed down, maybe to a crawl. But it doesn't mean there's not going. it's not going to happen. It just might not be happening the same as the neurotypical siblings they have mm-hmm. or their, the people in the neighborhood. And I also tell parents, you don't always know everybody else's you know backstory mm-hmm. anyhow when yeah, you all you at, see is the pictures on Instagram right. you don't so, necessarily see right, the reality right. so one of the things I love about ed therapy is they always say we prefer a description to a prescription it comes from the work of Mel Levine who was at Harvard who did the school's attuned work my husband was one of his fellows there so I knew his work for years and I like the fact that you don't necessarily have to categorize all sorts of you need to do that in school to a certain extent but you don't necessarily need to put people in so many boxes Mm -hmm. if you can describe what the things are that they can't that they're challenged with yet they can't do yet and then find remedies around that that goes counter to education and I totally having been in a school and done a myriad of IEPs in tons of different counties and school districts that you know the process starts by having to put somebody with a label so that you can then figure out what you legally can give them and can't give them and there's a certain extent of that to protect students rights also and to protect the school but I do find that when I use the word yet and I try to get this parent to realize that they're not the child is not a microcosm of them or you know a little version of them although I will tell you my own granddaughter looks just like her mother and acts just like her mother and there's some real joy to that but she also had comes in a different time with a different father and Mm -hmm. different environment and so I think it's important for parents to be in the moment, to not futurize too much, not catastrophize too much. What I'm trying to do, which is what I think you're trying to do, is get parents to breathe, <laughs> not yes. Lamaze, breathe, just breathe. Right. And because if you can't, if you're so anxious, you're not going to be able to do, you know, to have action. And I have met many parents who really dealt with this late in the game, even though you know that it's been staring them in the mm-hmm. face, and they have found every way to not deal with it. And it's because anxiety just, you know, takes hold and they haven't met the right people to say, this is the obstacle you're facing. How can we break this down? And I think as a new parent, you're so terrified. There's so much out on the Internet. You know, you Google one thing, you're done for. I mean, and so, you know, that's a double edged sword that we see with with some parents. You know, they'll let us know the law, which Mm -hmm. is great. But in the context of your child that was a different case right with you know many different things that were happening in a different state (laughs) here you know and I do encounter that and I think that goes to the next point which is too much information I love this quote don't mistake knowledge for wisdom and I'm always telling students Mm -hmm. that because they have way too much superficial knowledge but they don't have the wisdom to put it in perspective parents get a lot of information about a lot of things they get legal information rights law. I mean, mm-hmm. I never had to call a lawyer after I discovered rights law when I was doing IEPs. I could just look that stuff up mm-hmm. and they made it easier and easier. They, you know, parents will look at medical information. Parents, I mean, but they're, everybody does that. Right. Kids do that too. It's right. just that reality is that there's some great websites understood. I love that. Mm-hmm. It, you know, there's always been some, you know, websites right. I've gone to that have nice, clean information. But you need to put it in the context of your kid. You need to put it in 
in the context of the environment. And I think too much information with that context does not give you wisdom, it just gives you more anxiety. Right. And it also, I find in Orange County, where we're housed and where I live, because there are so many people in special needs that have their hands out, dealing with things that are not scientifically validated, that don't have a really great track record, I tell parents, you know, even though you're really rich, because I meet some really wealthy parents, who knows if the next Bernie Madoff is not taking care of your finances, <laughs> and you only have so much time and energy and hope, even yes. if money is not a factor for you. Mm -hmm. And your kids will only have so much time being futzed with and fixed with and prodded right. until they give up. So you've got to be pretty smart about how you're going yeah. to attend to things, even though every great in, you know discovery initially was a new discovery, mm -hmm. some of these things are very expensive and have really no scientific validation. And a lot of them yeah. has, takes up a lot of time. Right. And we need to allow these kids to have some time to be kids. Yes. I mean, I think that's something that a lot of times is challenging for us to balance. The kids come to us with a ton of therapy after right. school right. and during the summer and, yeah. you know, they're struggling with certain things in school and so then we're asking for more and we're adding more on and it's like there's only so much that a kid can handle and work hard before they're burnt out. I mean, any any kid, that's going to be the sense. We used to call these kids the Lilith kids. I don't know if you remember Lilith from Frasier, from Cheers. Mm -hmm. She was the psychiatrist. Oh, yeah. So mm -hmm. I have kids that could tell you chapter and verse, their diagnosis. Yes. the testing they had, their scores, and it's like, so what does that give you? Right, yeah. What can you do with that? Yeah. So yeah, no, I think that, and especially there, I find there's a lot of cognitive energy that gets expended much more for kids who have a diagnosis of ASD or a diagnosis of ADHD or have learning issues or have a lot of anxiety or social mm -hmm. anxiety. These are kids that come home and they really are feeling like they've been hit by a Mack truck. I tell parents all the time, they students have told me it's like going to Best Buy, mm -hmm. but instead of the 14 TVs being on one channel, they're on 14 different channels, mm -hmm. and I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. So when you come home and you're a neurotypical kid, usually you're pretty tired from a day of school, but these kids are really ultra exhausted, and yeah. most mm -hmm. of the therapies happen after school or on the weekends, and there isn't a chance to decompress, and I think right. that that's, and there isn't a chance to have those family experiences that you always right. see on sitcoms. Or right? social right. interactions, right. like social playing soccer, you know, yeah. practices right. or after school, right. or baseball, right. yeah. or, you know, yeah. taking flute lessons, right. like all those things that can be not only something to decompress, right. but it can be an outlet for them, and it's a way to have social interaction. But they're somewhat structured social interaction. Mm -hmm. So that is really, I mean, for some of our students, that's what they need. They need structure. Right. They won't deal with things that are not. But there is, they're really losing the ability to have unstructured time. And I yeah. think part of that also deals with where people live, their work environment, and also their safety that we were just talking right. about, the safety of kids today. And I think something so. that Amanda and I oftentimes see, and just with other professionals yeah. that we work with, sometimes parents are to a point where they're just like, fix my kid. Right. Especially if they pay you money. Right. Like, I'm paying right. money, fix my kid. Yeah. <laughs> Oftentimes, we have to push back yeah. and say, you are the rights holder, yeah. but the child is our client. Yes. Oh, I'm well, sure you kind of, you know, yes. and I'm sure you want to involve the child in things that it, you, yeah. It was interesting, having been a teacher and then becoming a principal, you sort of change your, the stakeholders become a lot bigger because parents, until a kid is an adult, and usually if they're seeing me, their parents are still paying for it, even though they're over eight. The stakeholders are not just the student, but it's the parents. And when you're a principal of the school, it's also the teacher.
teachers, it's the staff, mm -hmm. it is the board of directors, mm -hmm. it's the CEO of the school. And so you've got a lot of different people and they all have diff sometimes different needs. Mm -hmm. And so what you want to do is you want to go with really why you're there, which is what's best for your student. Mm -hmm. But sometimes what's best for the student is not going to be acknowledged by what's best for the parent. Mm -hmm. And that is why managing parent expectations is so difficult. I sometimes go to meetings and I want to say under my breath, you know, nobody listened to me at home. That's why I have red hair now that would be all gray underneath <laughs> it. But, you know, if you just listen to me, which you're not ready to hear, so I'm not even going to broach right, the subject, right. you would realize that, that what you're asking for is really not going to be realistic. And you're at some point going to realize that, but we're going to waste a lot of time and your right. kid's going to be really stressed out. Yeah. Well, even just yeah. the idea of like needing to fix it yeah. is that not all situations need to be fixed. And we're, not all of them can be fixed. Well, yes. yeah. And even the idea that the perspective of that, if there's something going on with the child, that it needs to be fixed. Because we know that so many of these kids, I mean, when we think about a kid with ADHD or dyslexia, a kid with um, that's living with Down syndrome, they right. have certain things that they need a little bit more assistance with. Yes. But then some of these attributes are actually blessings yes. in disguise. Yes. And if we can foster that, yes. rather than thinking, how can we fix it? Yes. Then we're really looking at the whole child and how right. can we really better the child and giving them right. the opportunities to really right. fulfill their potential and go with the things that they're great at and really kind of bring that out of them. The idea that we need to fix these kids is, I think, one of the biggest issues that we have and why, you yeah. know, with this podcast, it's not just about making sure that the parents and the teachers are educated, yeah. right. but also the community as a whole. As how a whole. can we change that idea? And it's interesting, when I was doing my special ed credential at Chapman, my student for reading was a student with Down syndrome, high-functioning student with Down syndrome, but with Down syndrome, which again, it's a people-first school, so I couldn't give the reason that he was not comprehending only as that he had Down syndrome, but I'd say that's a pretty good, you know, a, a good guess, <laughs> looking at the characteristics of students with Down syndrome. <laughs> and they wanted, the parents wanted me to teach him to read. Now, I was at the same time at the Prentice School, and I'm a Slingerland trained teacher, mm -hmm. so I'm credentialed as a, you know, reading, you know, teacher. Mm -hmm. So I taught him using Slingerland, and I had a year with him, and I taught him how to read. He did not really understand anything that he was reading, but he could read. I was thinking the whole time, this would have been, I could have spent a lot more time teaching him how to read functionally mm. for signs, for mm -hmm. safety in mm. the world, the things that he needed. And we could have spent that energy. I could have done the same multi-sensory approach of that education. But the parents, their whole goal was, I want this kid to read. Mm. And that's what I was, I was in grad school. So you just shut your mouth and you do what you want to do. That again is, at times you manage parents' expectations. Had I had another year with that student, I would probably then shift to, okay, this is where we're at here now what could we do that is more meaningful and I do this a lot in my work here I spend time with students who a lot of times are going to community college and they're killing themselves to get really lousy grades because they have very profound learning issues or they have you know they're not the type of student who has a diagnosis of autism who can be really a savant they're not all savants or who can really do the things they don't want to do I like to say when kids have a diagnosis of ASD what they do really well they do really well and what they don't do really well they usually don't do mm -hmm. so uh, it's very black and white in yeah. some situations yeah. that's a big generalization that's a lot of the kids I see who come to me so I have to do the year because the parents are like I will wash your mouth out with soap if the kid doesn't get an AA degree I don't know what people do with AA degrees anymore mm -hmm. but I mean there's a lot of things you can do but not with just a gen you got to do something with it mm -hmm. once you get your AA degree mm -hmm. and I move them after the year when I teach them how to be, have more executive functioning strategies so that they 
they actually, I use the example, it's like a tennis balls being lobbed at them and they're like looking at, they miss every deadline, they don't know what's expected, a lot of stuff is auditory but they're not listening because they're not focusing or they're getting anxious so they don't necessarily are able, I mean some of the universities and the colleges portals there might be three different portals. You need a PhD sometimes Ooh, to just figure it, out exactly. where you're looking and right. anything. There are like different classes <clears throat> in the same university. Yeah. So they can't figure this stuff out. And the disability services does what they can do, but you practically have to camp out there to get all of this stuff you know, met. So what I do is I do what the parents want because they're paying the money. And then as I then spend the year figuring out what this kid really likes doing, I then shift them into certificate programs or professional schools so they're now working as hard but the cohort is smaller the mm -hmm. years are less mm -hmm. it's multi-sensory everything they take is based on what they're doing and they come out of there with two things I think are really important for students that I work with supervision and a schedule mm -hmm. so these are not the kinds of kids who are going to be very entrepreneurial without mm -hmm. somebody giving them a schedule and now there are a lot of kids out there that don't need that but they're usually not the ones I work with this is okay. just my little neck of the woods so sometimes managing parents expectations is to have a longer plan than they have to do what they want to do because if they just stop seeing you you're done mm -hmm. you know if they pull the kid out of the school right. or the pri you're right. done so you have to and they're the people who ha are the primary stakeholder until the kid is 18 it's their responsibility but the education is important and dealing with the anxiety mm -hmm and constantly using the word yet. And again, one of the interesting things I find about our kids is when Frostic Center did this major study of what the successes of students, this was years ago when I was at Prentice and it really informed a lot of my teaching and my program organization. They found that none of them were academic. They were things like tenacity, perseverance, problem solving, goal-directed persistence, mentoring, finding, you know, mm -hmm. it's all the soft cores which turned into our executive functioning um, strategies that mm -hmm. have such a pinnacle of bed therapy. And so I, years ago, started a program I called Advisement. The whole, from sixth grade through eighth grade, the whole school, including the people in the office, everybody had a group of students that they went through for three years. They worked this little group oh, together and yeah. I would do things like mazes here's a pen do a maze mm -hmm. figure out and you'd see the two three people that could just do a maze with the pen and everybody else is scratching stuff out and getting really upset and it was really a discussion of what happens when you're struggling and other people are easing through mm -hmm. or when we, we used to have lockers with combinations mm -hmm. dyslexic students you know with like going from, right yeah. going left mm -hmm. going right mm -hmm. was not the easiest thing and so I used to tell them even if you never have a combination lock in in high school, you're going to be a CEO of a company someday, you're going to join a big gym, and you're going to need to have a combination lock there. And so just talking about how you handle things when there's difficulties, what do you do to keep yourself moving, right. what are the tricks you're using to put that to the kinds of things that students who are neurotypical, who are successful, all the two of you, I am sure you had your problems, but you figured it out. Right. Most people just figure it out, and these right. kids mm -hmm. just don't. So, and part of it is because of parent expectations. I find this is not me saying this alone, but 
You don't learn goal-directed persistence. You don't learn perseverance. You don't learn resiliency unless you practice it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have an opportunity to practice it because mm -hmm. everybody's bubble-wrapped you mm -hmm. around yes. 50 times Absolutely. over, you will never get it. So mm -hmm. when kids go to college who have really worked on this and they have adversity and they know how to advocate for themselves, mm -hmm. they are setting themselves up for being very successful in the world. When kids break a fingernail where everything has been great and they want to just go home, mm -hmm. those are people that definitely needed a dose of that. So you don't necessarily have to be a kid with issues who doesn't, who's bubble wrapped. I mean, that's our society today. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But parenting has really, really changed from the time I was parenting my kids to the time people are parenting their kids today. And so that's something we also have to realize is, and I think that stems a lot of it from more knowledge, yes. less wisdom. Yeah. But problem solving and flexibility and all those things are really important things to teach kids. So we don't have an education system that really works well when th kids do not do well. Mm -hmm. That's always the teachable moment. I spend time in some schools and some of the religious schools. I've lectured before to the diocese, to the synod, for some of the Lutheran schools. Working on the fact that really things finish when there's closure to them. And if you don't give kids a chance to see what worked out well to replicate it and what didn't work out well to be able to not replicate right. it. Because again, if you're somebody without a lot of flexibility, as many of our students with these diagnoses are, you will keep hitting your head against the wall yes. and never look for the door. Right. So this is the way you can embed that. But it requires changing the way we teach. And it right. really mm -hmm. requires people looking at things that are a process more than a product, which again, you can do quite handily, I think, until you are in high school, where you know the GPA starts hitting. And now with, with test optional schools, mm -hmm. GPAs are actually going to probably become more you know, prevalent because you won't have that other measure to, to look at kids for college. Mm -hmm. But it's a shame because I think a lot of times what really works well with kids just does not fit in really well with the structure of school. Well, especially the way yeah. that the structure of school yeah. is so set in its yes. ways yes. for so many years. Right. And even though we know so many more ways to educate kids and yeah. how the brain works, we're still using methodologies from 20, 40, right. 60 years ago. And I mean, the Harvard has done some amazing mm -hmm. things. Uh, they're at the forefront of brain research mm -hmm. and trying to translate that into for teaching, I think that was some of the nice things I like to say, even though there's some really terrible things about No Child Left Behind. Mm -hmm. That's one of uh, some ideas that well, when I first taught, it was the charismatic teacher that would then imbue right. their charisma to you. If you didn't have it, you were out of luck. And then it either worked or it didn't. It, you, it was like cooking for me that never, I would bake certain things that never turned out, even though I was completely following the recipe. Some things just work for you, some things right. don't. Right. But I think that being able to see some scientific validity of how people learn, which is another part of what I really love about educational therapy, because it, a lot of it is really based on brain research and how right. brains work, and I think that's really important. So, you know, th those are just other things I think that are important with parents to explain that I started doing that when I was a teacher. I don't need the blinking light to greet me every morning. With We can teach your child how to ask these questions to me instead of you asking me these questions. Right. And I understand it because I was one of those parents. You feel like you have to be the protector of your child. Right. Yes. But it's always important for any parent 
to realize that at different stages you have to parent differently. I've been married to the same guy for 43 years and our marriage today is not the same as when he was in medical school. Right. He's not the same person, I'm not the same person. Change so is the only constant. Change is the only constant right. and I think we are so bombarded as adults with the, all the changes right. that we have to make that we don't yes. necessarily want to make any changes yeah. when it comes to dealing yeah. with or our kids. Or being stuck in. Something yeah. doesn't work when the right. child is 10 doesn't mean that right. it's going to be difficult for them when they turn 15. Right. Uh, there, yeah kid is, is having difficulties with math when they're in kindergarten and it's like branded oh they're not a numbers person mm -hmm. and it's like well no we don't know and I think that's a big thing for both parents and schools yeah. to think about setting higher expectations for well, kids and not putting a, right. a, a barrier on what they can achieve. There's also neuroplasticity of the brain. So mm -hmm. the brain changes. Yep. You know, their IQs are not static like mm -hmm. we used to think. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there's just so many, that's again, the whole futurizing. I'm like one of these, you know, if you're, the, you're my kind of personality, it works really well as a school principal. It doesn't really work so well in the rest of your life when you're always <laughs> thinking 10 steps ahead. You don't need to be, right. and it, you know, right. you just don't know. I like to tell parents that where my kid is now is very, very different my, my younger one than when she was you know struggling through all mm -hmm. these things she's again some things are not going to be fixed she's not going to not be autistic right. but she has managed it quite well and the world does not change for her mm -hmm. she's had to learn mm -hmm. to change for the world and I yes. think that is another thing that you get with wisdom that you don't necessarily get with parents or you know they come into you they come in to see me all these things need to change and yeah. I like to talk about you know in special ed, the core principle of it is you're looking at what the ser the services are driven by, what the problems are, mm -hmm. what the challenges are, what the needs are. Mm -hmm. And so you really have to look, you have to do a task analysis, sort of figure out what those needs are. And every situation is different. Some classes might need things, other classes might not. Yeah. I'm a big believer kids should know what they're diagnosis is. I've had many parents bring their kids to apprentice and say, please don't tell the child they have dyslexia. And I'm like, is your kid an idiot? Why right. do they think they're here? Right, right. I dealt with yeah, junior right. high, so in high yeah. school. So I think it's important to be able to read your IEP. Right. Yes. I think it's important to advocate Involve for the child. Yeah. And they have, so that they can understand, too. And they we talk about buy-in, yeah. but we also have to talk about making sure that they understand why is it that I'm having to do Right. Well, so they can advocate. Like they have to saying. advocate yes. because, because in, in college, world, they, nobody, I mean, legally cannot, yeah. right. you know, they have to yeah. self-disclose. Nobody's yeah. going to have a conversation. Yeah. By the way, you're going to have so-and-so <laughs> next. Right. Right. Have well, and position. even like we talk about when we're dealing with like maladaptive behaviors yeah. in the classroom, we right. have a lot of kids who have behaviors, but they, you know, have higher cognitive abilities and it's like, okay, well, part of the reason why they're having the behaviors is you're not setting those expectations. You're not explaining yeah. to them what's going to happen and why. Yes. And they can understand it if you yeah. just explain it to them right. and put the steps forward. And I mean, that happens so many times in IEPs where it's yes. like once you start doing that, it's like you see oh. a complete change. Give them the benefit of the doubt that yeah. they can understand what it is that you're trying to do for them. I look at special ed as, especially the case carrier, the SAI, they used to be called resource teachers, right. they change all the terms. I, I look at them as the people, the kid is in a car driving down the road. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to go ahead of the road when the first pothole is there, put the tar in so when the kid yes. gets there they keep moving. Now they're on to the next yes. pothole. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be forward thinking yes. which goes against some of the reasons to do goals and objectives mm, because right. if they like yeah. I have a great story when I was doing my transition my ed therapy professional you have to intern and a really good friend of mine is in a really great elementary school she's a board certified ed therapist and she's also the head of the resource in this elementary school 
excellent school, wonderful principal, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. But I was working with a kid who had a lot of behavior issues and they stemmed from the fact he was very dysgraphic and he was having a really hard time with printing, so we were mastering printing mm -hmm. uh, as much as we could. It should really, he should just be on the keyboard, but he's going to have a hard time. He had right. spatial issues. She'll have spatial issues with the keyboard. But we couldn't do that because they hadn't introduced that yet in mm. the school. And we couldn't do cursive, which they were going to do next year because he hasn't failed it yet. So all uh. I said, you realize that you are opening yourself up to exactly what we right. just got through. You are now right. doing, yeah. in. Right. you're going to be doing it. If right. we just did keyboarding this year yeah. and cursive right. handwriting this year, yeah. he would slide yep. in and it would be a non-issue. Yep. Exactly. And I understand legally they couldn't do it. It just didn't make any sense. Right. So so those are the kinds of things where parents have to realize everything isn't going to be perfect. I When they come here and they want the perfect school, yeah. I know there isn't one. Right. But there probably are some that are going to be better than others. And if right. everything, if it's a yeah. really complicated kid, then we will craft the perfect program, which you can do now, yeah. which you couldn't do. And, and so many it's options. a fit, too, yeah. right? It's like, how do they fit within that school? Right. And that's something that, yeah, you the know. The goodness of fit mm -hmm. is really mm -hmm. important. Yeah. And that, a lot of times, doesn't happen because some of these schools are labeled schools and parents yep, are yep. not willing to. I'm, I'm a founding board member of the New Vista School, which mm, is a school yeah. for kids with autism. And I've had many a parent who will not go there because it's a school for autism, although their kid mm. has a diagnosis of autism right. and be very well right. certain. Mm, right. So that becomes, and that's a long process. And with parents, I find that we all get it here much quicker than we get it here. Yes. Yeah. So I'm pointing yeah. to the brain. I was just going to say, right. pointing to the brain. Intellectually, yeah. <laughs> we can start yeah. understanding it, but it takes a much longer time for us yeah. to emotionally understand it. And yeah. especially yes. if you are two parents, I always get the, you know, well, it's only a single parent, and so they're doing all this themselves. But I yeah. can't tell you how many parents where both parents are involved, and they're not, just because they're married, they're right. not on the same page. Right. So one place and one is another, and you still don't. Yeah. Or even it just comes from not or, knowing all the information out there, and not knowing what the resources are, right. thinking mm -hmm. that, you know, that label defines that right. school, right, right, that thing. And that's why it's so important that, you know, yeah. and why we try to have people like you on the yes, podcast right. to really give families an opportunity to kind of learn about the resources out there and people like yeah. you that exist. And right. if people are hearing this and they're like, oh, I need your help, what's the best way that they get a hold of you? The best way they can contact me is through the College Blueprint, and I'm Karen Lerner, and my email is K-A-R-E-N. L-E-R-N-E-R -E -E at collegeblueprint.com. Excellent. Perfect. We'll include that in our show okay. notes. And we just um, want to thank you again for being on our podcast. I'm sure we're going to have to have you on because we could talk. I know I say this a lot, but you guys, literally, we could talk to her all day. <laughs> <laughs> but we're very sweet. I think what you're doing is amazing, and I'm very honored to be here. Thank, thank you, you so much. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.